Yes, so, I mean, so with substance use, with trauma, with grief, those things uh, oftentimes depend on the person because each person, you know, have a different tolerance level as well as a different resiliency level. So it's no right. telling um, how one may become a victim, uh, addicted to a substance or how may one get over a, you know, an issue of trauma. It all depends on that person and how they, you know, how they process, how they continue to go, because mm-hmm. we can be. We can be in the same traumatic situation. We can be in the same car accident. We can be in the same hurricane or storm, and you may be affected differently than I may be affected differently. That doesn't mean I'm not affected at all. That just means I'm processing different than what you're probably processing. And the same thing with substance use. Somebody mm-hmm. could be you know, drinking beer or alcohol every day, all day, and be fine the next day for work. Mm-hmm. And, and this one person probably take one drink, and you know that can be the detriment to their lifelong journey of sobriety so it all depends you know those things you know it's based on tolerance it's based on body composition it's based on so many other different factors um and also you can be predisposed to certain things you know how you grew up um you know who you interacting with your support system you know all those things um can contribute to not only substance use recovery but of course trauma and grief yeah that's so true I feel like this is going to be heavy. (laughs) I was just thinking that I was like, oh man, this is going to be heavy, but necessary. And I'm just going to preface it with, I'm going to get emotional. I know I'm going to get emotional. And it goes, and it kind of goes beyond um, Michael K because although, you know, this is the recent um, sort of event that happened, we've been dealing with this in our community for a long time, even with, you know, the way actors and just our normal people who are walking by day to day, how they process things. Like, you know, I know people who it takes one thing to bring up, you know, something traumatic that happened in their past. And it reminds them of that. And they, you know, go off to use something or, you know, some other sort of substance abuse or something like that. So I want to make sure that we, you know, not just keep this around Michael K. All of this is very important for us to talk about his journey too, but this is affecting a lot of us. Absolutely. And deeply, yeah. right. Like I had, um, a lot of people don't know this cause I don't share it. I'm a pretty private person. Um, Jay knows this, but I feel like when we share specific things that are close to us, people heal through that, right. They heal mm-hmm. through storytelling. They're able to connect with you, but my sister suffered from substance, substance abuse. Right. So when we talk about these topics or when people, which happens very, very often, are very critical or judgmental of those who are on that journey of trying to free themselves, I get I get tight, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you yeah, don't understand, yeah. you don't know. We all need to pause and recognize where our biases and things like that, um, where they lie and how we can be of supportive, right? How can we lead first with grace versus, you know, trying to either understand deeply or just really being judgmental because hurt comes from, you know, some of the things that those who are on their journey of dealing with substance abuse um, and dealing with their trauma and triggers, you know, those things come about in in different ways. People are hurt, right? Hurt people, Mm -hmm. hurt people is what they always say. But I think one thing that I've taken away from understanding those who are in that journey is grace is is sufficient, right? And we need to be leading with that. Mm -hmm. 
Yes, I agree. So if you are just now joining us and you notice that we are not alone, we have a guest this week. Um, first of all, welcome to the Plant Wind Down. I am one of your hosts, Jade, the Black Plant Chick. And I am Veronica, Brown Skin Plant Mama. Yes. And today is a very special episode because we are talking about mental health. Um, and I want to make sure that I make it clear that we are talking about mental health and how it you know, affects Black men. Um, that's really where I want our focus to sort of be. Of course, mental health affects us all. I know that when some people listen to this, they're going to be like, well, what about the Black women? And we are Black women and we know how it affects us. And we have so many opportunities to talk about how um, mental health mental health affects us personally. But today I want us to um, talk more about Black men. And so joining us on the show um, is the founder of Men to Heal, James Harris. James, welcome to the show. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate you for having me. Thank You're you. You're welcome. You're welcome. We are excited to um, sort of open up this platform to you and talk about mental health, talk about all the things that you are doing within the community um, because we value you, Black brother, and uh, we want to make sure that you feel welcomed in this space with us. No, I do. I appreciate you guys for sending the invitation. Um, individually, you two are amazing <laughs> and dope, but to, to gather collectively, you're also awesome. Thank uh, the, you. you know, the podcast is good. You're reaching a lot of people. You're educating a lot of people. Um, so, yeah, I'm more than welcome to contribute where I can. Awesome. Awesome. So, um, James, really quickly, give us a little bit of background on who you are. <clears throat> yeah. So I'm James Harris. I'm located in Richmond, Virginia. I'm a father. I'm a veteran. I'm an entrepreneur, but I'm also a therapist. I do private practice as well as outpatient. Um, and I founded a movement called Men to Heal, which focuses on men's overall wellness, their mental health, as well as their physical health, and of course, their emotional health. Um, you, you can subscribe to that um, movement. You know, check me out, of course, mentoheal.com, www.mentoheal.com. And from there, YouTube channel, my book, um, social media handles, email. Um, resources list. If you do need a resource for anybody for substance use, the homeless to suicide hotlines and things like that. Um, and I'm also the author of a book called Man Just Express Yourself, which is an interactive planner mm -hmm. guide for boys and men to better express themselves. Um, you know, sometimes men need a boost. Sometimes they're mm -hmm. reluctant to express their feelings and talk about grief and trauma and, you know, so many different other things. So that book is a heck of a tool for, of course, women. They can buy this book for, you know, their partners, their boyfriends, husbands, um, who, who have those difficulties express themselves. And, you know, they can highlight a couple of different chapters, give it to them. They can do it as a exercise of a dinner or a date night. That way it doesn't mm -hmm. feel like a chore, you know, to your husband. It'll, it'll feel like something to enhance your relationship. And of course, my parents out there, they can get this tool as well for the young men in their life, their teenage sons who, you know, so they can see if they still process things or if they're still triggered by the same things or see which areas they need to improve in. And of course, it's a good tool for my fellow clinicians. You know, most of them got in our lobbies or do these interventions in practice. So I'm happy for that. You know, and, and if a male want to get this tool just to see where he is or enhance the knowledge that he already possessed, you know, or, or probably potentially take that next step of finding a therapist or just trying to identify more of himself, then, you know, he can do that as well. Mm -hmm. 
Yes, this journal, I was looking at it um, on Amazon and it's an excellent tool. You know, we often see things for women all the time. Like that's easy to come about, right? It's, you can mm-hmm. find a journal that's dedicated to us and self-care, um, but rarely do you see something that is for men and boys um, and that encourages them to get in touch with themselves and and to write and to journal. Like that's something that's so important for all of yes. us to get in the habit of doing. So I love what you're doing with that. I think that's super dope. Yeah, yeah. No, I appreciate it. I'm glad you was able to check that out. And, uh, you know, if anybody want to check it out, they can get it off my website, mentalhead.com. But, of course, they can get it off Amazon, Barnes & Noble's Target, Walmart, uh, pretty much anywhere books are sold. You know, I'm just fortunate to be in this Mm -hmm. uh, position, you know, to have a piece of literature that people are gravitating to. Yes, yes. I love that. Um, Jade, I don't know about you, but I... I get excited when I see black men in the helping field, like especially when I see a black male therapist because of the misconception that comes along with men being able to express themselves like you just mm-hmm. said, James, um, and being open about that and seeing examples of men who who look like you, right, who are mm-hmm. doing this work and really assisting and providing resources to others. So I'm curious to know, and I'm sure those who are listening also would love to hear not only your journey of how you really prioritize your own mental well-being, but how did Men to Heal actually come about? Oh, it's you? a good story, too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, did, I did my research. Uh, yeah, yeah. Part of it is probably on my website. I can't remember. It's been a couple of years since I uh, mm-hmm. updated my website. Um, everything is updated, but just, you know, I don't recall what's, what's actually on there. But uh, so for me, um, mental Hill started as an assignment that I had in grad school. Um, mm-hmm. Like a lot of my other therapists out there probably listen, they probably had the same assignment, which uh, if there's any population that you can work with, who would it be? You know, so for me, that was the assignment and that's what I took on. So a couple of my cohort members were um, donors. They, they chose, you know, LGBTQ. They chose uh, women's rights. They chose uh, veterans and you know, just a couple of different ones that you always hear, like the cliche mm-hmm. topic. So yeah. as a veteran, initially I chose veterans as well, but then I thought about it like, oh man, like I looked around, I was the only black male in my cohort. Um, mm-hmm. And it was only three or four males to complete the cohort. So I was like, oh man. And then, yeah. you know, that just made me realize like, not only is it not enough male providers, not enough black male providers, but it's a stigma and a reluctancy of men just seeking services, not just from the mental health standpoint, but just from a overall wellness standpoint, you know, mm-hmm. they don't go to the doctors or a therapist. So for me, I took that on as an assignment and um, it just grew. So fast forward, graduated, I started at this private practice um, in Richmond called Lavelle Outpatient Counseling, owned by two phenomenal women, Tangie Moore and um, Dr. B. And, you know, they do a lot in the community for women. And I always used to tease them, like, yo, when we could do something for the men, what's going on? Like, let's put something together. So, you know, it just it just was a joke. So then I just reverted back to the um, assignment from high school. And uh, from there, it was born. So I put together, I, I own an art gallery in Richmond, and uh, I just put it together. Then, you know, had a couple of people come out, men in mental health, selected mm-hmm. a couple of different um, questions, you know, put together a panel and 
from there, just continue to grow. You know, it started at 20, then it got all the way up to about 60 plus men and women just coming with our questions and listening. So from there, you know, it just was men and mental health, athletes and mental health, uh, incarceration and mental health, you know, so the panel mm-hmm. comprised of different people um, and, and where the community can come and get our questions answered. So then, you know, it just took off faster than I expected from that assignment. So, you know, me being like just wanted the brand, I threw it on a shirt. Um, so I, I was I was stuck at a train. I got a Tesla, so I started doodling um, on the screen, and that's how the logo was. Found. I don't know nothing about that life. So, what you mean you was doodling on the screen? <laughs> <laughs> so, on the so, tablet, Jay. Yeah, yeah. I thought you said he got a Tesla. Did you say yeah, he got? A- yeah, yeah. So on the Tesla, like you can draw on the screen. You know, it's that huge screen. So if you're not familiar I don't know, with it, don't know. yeah. So <laughs> well, so either way, either way, I I took a picture of the logo that you see down, put it on the shirt, start wearing mm-hmm. it. And uh, before I knew it, I had over a thousand sold because wow. you know people would be like, "Oh man, that's a dope shirt." What it mean? Or either, oh, man, my uncle can use this or my dad. You know, just people was gravitating to it because they know a man who was in need of services but didn't know where to look and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. So it just continued to grow and uh, continue to have sessions and panels within the community and, um, you know, speaking opportunities, speaking engagements, just different things. So then uh, that led me to write the book because I was getting questions in the inbox or email about certain topics and then it was just different stuff that I do within session with my clients, you know, whether there's a couple or individual or adult or adolescent, you know. So I was like, well, let me just put all this information in one collective place. And that's how the book was formed. And mm-hmm. then that took off, you know. So then that led to the YouTube channel, which my YouTube channel is now monetized. Um, so I'm just fortunate enough to be in this position to be able to assist people in, in getting information that they need. You know, they can share it with our loved ones, the men in our lives, or just right. people who are oftentimes stubborn to do research themselves. Right. So let me ask you, you um, were in foster care. How do you think that that, I guess, played a part in all of this, who you are today, like that experience? I know for a lot of people going through the foster care system can be a very traumatic experience. How did that shape the man that you are today? Yeah, yeah. So that, to be real with you, that was a vital part of me mm-hmm. even going back to college um, and, and mm-hmm. wanting to become a therapist. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, it just overall shape, you know, gave me a lot of tenacity, gave me a lot of ambition to show me what I don't want. Um, so I was I was in foster care and being in foster care and group homes, you know, being a ward of the state, uh, really, therapy is mandatory weekly. And for me, mm-hmm it wasn't a pleasant experience because oftentimes mm-hmm. the therapists are uh, older white people. <laughs> and, right. uh, you know, I was this young black kid from the project. So if yeah. anybody out there listening, you can go and go to my website or my social media and see what I look like. I'm a young black guy, naughty head, <laughs> stubby beard, tattoos, um, grill, you know, so this Let's is me. Go. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and so I am a representation of, who I'm serving. And, and you know, yes. back then it wasn't that. So fast forward, though, uh, when I got to the military, it was the same thing. You know, two deployments, one Iraq, one Afghanistan, came back. I knew I was different, so I tried therapy again. And this time it was the same thing. You know, older people, no combat experience, nobody who looked like me. So mm-hmm. that led me to say, you know what, I got to do this. I got to make sure that my people are receiving um, the benefits of therapy, the benefits of mental health. 
you know, so that from there, that's how pretty much it was, though. And, you know, it shaped me based on that because I emancipated myself at 16. Um, okay. So from 16 to now mm-hmm. at 35, everything was sheer hustle. The multiple mm-hmm. businesses, the multiple homes, the investments, you know, all of that was just from not wanting to be within that type of society, just wanting to be something different, wanting to be an inspiration to others. Right. Um, I want to hit on something that you just mentioned. Um, There are a lot of young black men who feel as though they have no specific options, right, to to get outside of what their current situation is. And that may be similar to yours. Um, It may be, you know, street life, whatever that might be. There takes a, a certain level of grit to get past and through what is presently like right in front of you. So James, like just hearing your, and I read it as well, but just hearing your story and and even just the emotion that comes behind you being very sure. And like, this is what it was, but this is where I am now. What would you say was necessary for you to be able to kind of understand, come to grips with from you to go from where you were as a ward of the state to where you are now? What did it take? Um, you know, it, I guess it all depends on that person because, you know, my my motivation, my outlook was different because I got a brother who was in the same situations, mm-hmm. but his life, you know, he's been incarcerated uh, over 50% of his life. So, you know, it all mm-hmm. depends on that person, that, that will, that determination, what you want to do. Um, and like I alluded to earlier, we all have different motivations. We all have different resiliency levels and tolerance levels. Um, I just know I didn't want to be a negative statistic. Um, and I knew it was more out there. You know, so even when I did, you know, briefly play in the streets, I just knew that was something to catapult me to um, a better version of myself opposed yeah. to getting stuck into that reality. You know, I, I, I wanted more. So if it, if it was from... Uh, doing something, it was because I had to to do it to survive, you know, house yeah. to house, couch to couch, hotel to hotel, opposed to, like my freshman year of college, um, before I joined the military, I was homeless. So, you know, on spring break, winter break, summer break, when people went home, like I had to sneak back into my dorm room, you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Like, so my motivation was different. Like I didn't have a family to go home to during those breaks. Um, in college. I, it was my car or to sneak back in the dorm room. So I was just fortunate. Um, and then I was fortunate enough to to have uh, positive people around me, somebody from the group home, uh, Rodney Honshell. He, you know, gave me the opportunity to stay in his son room because his son had just moved um, to another state with his mom. So he was like, you're on breaks. You can just crash here. You know, so I was fortunate. Mm-hmm. But outside of that, you know, it was just me and hustle. That's all I knew. Um, But I also knew like this was not the life that I wanted. It was a life that I was using to fulfill other things that I needed to do. Mm. Um, You know, and and then me just viewing it like I don't want to be a burden on him. So that's when I joined the army. You know what I'm saying? So Mm -hmm. that's how that was. Thank you for your service. We appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, I want to kind of talk about sort of like you said, you have a brother who um, served, has been serving time, and then you kind of went in a different direction. Um, but I want to go from a from a mother who's raising a young Black boy. What do you think as mothers that we can do when our children, our boys are young, to kind of help 
I guess, mold them to be that person who wants to always see something better for themselves. Like, I Mm -hmm. think that we as parents play a big part in that. And, um, you know, I've seen parents who weren't doing so well with their children in the direction that their kids go and then parents who are in the direction that they go. But as a therapist, um, what would you say as women that we can do to help our young boys sort of, I guess, help them in that direction? We can't always be there for them, but we can do something while they're young um, to sort of mold them into that person. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I don't know the relationship with you and, and the father, but of course, mm-hmm. Um, positive male influence is definitely mm-hmm. a big, a significant component of that. So mm-hmm. even if it's not his father directly, if you got um, some other positive males within his life um, that can be instrumental into teaching him different values mm-hmm. and structures of what it is to display a certain characteristic, you know, um, so those things are important. It's also important to ensure that he has mentors within the community, whether that's right. sports or whether that's um, somebody within your religious background, you know, um, you just want to ensure that you surrounded him with affluent males mm-hmm. so he would know what that looks like opposed to, because realistically, uh, as a parent, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a parent as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have daughters, ironically. So <laughs> we, we got to understand that our children are influenced way more outside of the home than they are yes. within the home because yeah. they're they're in school eight plus hours then they probably got after school then they probably got social media so mm-hmm. those things can gravitate and hold them more than our presence can because even when my daughters get home you know we eat dinner together we do homework together we do a lot of different activities together but that influence is still not as much it, it has the potential to be not as powerful as the peer pressure, the social media, yeah, yeah, and all that. So we just want to ensure that we're putting ourselves in a position to be the strongest advocate in their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and and when you think about those things, even if you think about now the coworkers that you associate with or the people within the community, um, a lot of people don't know that the attachment style and the parenting mm-hmm. style that that parents used or didn't use can affect how we display these things within our relationships, whether they're mm-hmm. social relationships or intimate relationships. Um, so if you're out there listening on my YouTube, there is a video on um, attachment styles. If you want to know what those um, attachment mm-hmm. styles are, it's a video on my YouTube as well on parenting styles. If you want yeah. to know what those parenting styles uh, are. And and believe it or not, those things do shape how, yeah. uh, how <laughs> we were born and how... Yeah, uh, how yeah. people associate with us within society today. Because again, mm-hmm. like tomorrow or next week when you go to the office or on that Zoom call, just look mm-hmm. around your office. You can see how people respond to you or mm-hmm. don't know how to respond based on those parental styles and based on those attachment styles that they did or didn't get. Yeah, I, I love that. Um, I've been really looking into attachment styles lately and just like watching different videos. And it made me think mm-hmm. about growing up um, and being around my parents. I had both of my parents in the house. They were together for about 21 years. Um, they got a divorce when I was maybe about 14. Um, and I noticed when I look back, they avoided a lot of things. Um, they kind of didn't talk to us about a lot of stuff. Like they really kept like that, you're a child, stay in a child's place type of thing. Uh But I can also see that 
when things would come about, it seemed like my father especially avoided a lot of stuff. Um, and it, and it's interesting because now that they're divorced and I've been divorced for years, um, talking to my dad now, it seems like he's, um, I don't, not necessarily disappointed, well, maybe disappointed, but he's trying to go back in his mind and fix some things. Um, so it's interesting that you brought up that attachment style because that those are real. <laughs> yeah. And, and also, I don't mean to cut, um, so I know somebody's about to dive in there, but I just got to get this out before okay. I lose my train of thought. Um, also, a lot of people, um, especially parents, don't know that, like, or the misconception is if we're both within the house home, it's better for our child. Right. And that's not necessarily true because that two-parent yeah. household can be as detrimental mm-hmm. to that child, you know, than a one-parent household, you know. Mm-hmm. So whatever it is, you just want to ensure that everything is lining up the way it's supposed to be to have a healthy, nurturing relationship opposed to just being together just the sake of being together. Because now you got this child witnessing or observing this negative behavior Mm -hmm. in which they're adapting to. They're becoming accustomed to. You know, they're Mm -hmm. learning trauma bond situations. They're learning to argue or learning to shut down, you know, within Mm -hmm. confrontations or uh, communication, you know. So all of those things are important. So I don't want people to feel like, you got to stay in a two-parent household to make it work or what's best for the child. No, because that can be a detriment to that child as well. Mm-hmm. That's so true. I've seen some really dope co-parenting situations where the child is better off, right? And they understand mm-hmm. um, that the situation needs to be what it is in order for them to thrive. Um, the parenting issue is so important. Jade, I think we talked about this before with our mm-hmm. children and not always going to the, because I said so, peace, right? Or just right. being conscious about the way that we parent our children so that they learn how to cope better than how mm-hmm. we were either raised in coping or know how to cope ourselves, right? Our, our kids are watching us. They see what we do. They see how we, we react um, and they're learning, right? So um, that's yeah. really, really important. And we have to give our children grace too, like because we got to yeah. be realistic about the situation. The way some of us were raised was not necessarily the healthiest yeah, and the most benefiting way, you know. So, yeah. um, talking to your children, educating your children, and enhancing what where they are is beneficial to them. Like, I mean, you know, you know your children better than I do, but meet them where they are cognitively and maturity wise. Mm-hmm. But it's okay to have a conversation with them. It's okay to communicate with them because mm-hmm. when you're doing that, it's it's a set, uh, um, allowing them to know that they're accepted and validated mm-hmm. by you. Because now when they go into the world, they ain't gonna take that abuse or the negative mm-hmm. actions from anybody else because exactly. my parent don't do that to me. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. So you're not gonna do that to me. Um, and I understand that it can be tough navigating those conversations, you know, whether that is um, a child who who is, you know, thinking about sexual identity um, mm-hmm. preferences or, you know, uh, substance use, you know, uh, you know, uh, having sex like those things mm-hmm. are definitely important as a parent. Like you probably don't know how to have those conversations with your child, but hear them out. Be a support system. Um it's a video on my YouTube as well on tough parenting conversations in which mm-hmm. parents can, you know, just listen to it and, and get some tips on how to have those conversations with their young ones. Because, you know, some parents shut down or some parents didn't have it or yeah. some parents try to change them, which yeah. caused yep. rebellion within mm-hmm. the child or just that child navigating and learning on them, their own. You know, if you're not teaching them, they're going to get it from somewhere they else and you might not. Yep. 
might sure not be the best know. lesson um, or the best practice. So it's definitely best to assist them as best you can. Yeah, we will. I mean, the art of listening is so important, <laughs> right? No, it's my, huge. My yeah. five-year-old will tell me to this day, and she is taking after what I say to her. Mommy, please let me finish my words. Don't interrupt <laughs> while I... And Jay knows my daughter, Hunter. She's a firecracker, and I will not know her shine. But she teaches me as well. Like, we have to reprogram our thinking when it comes to raising our children and being being conscious about not bringing in those those trauma points and those triggers into the way just because I was raised this way doesn't mean that I have to do the same um, with my child and sometimes that brings about conflict even with like my parents and my you know my mother-in-law but we have to be able to find our voice, right, with parents and because we solely are responsible, especially in the rearing age of what it is that they learn, what it is that they take away. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I agree. I think for me as a parent, when I was growing up, actually, my father, his goal was to make sure that I wasn't exposed to anything crazy in the world. Like there, I remember when doing it and doing it came out by LL Cool J and I was playing that song. I think I was in my room, maybe on my little bitty radio and he heard it. And from that point on, I could no longer listen to the radio. Um, there were things that he just did not want me to experience, but he also didn't talk to me about it. He didn't tell me why mm-hmm. he didn't um, explain to me like what would happen. It was just no, 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 no. And so as a kid um, and a teenager, those no's turned into me going outside and figuring out what it was that he was keeping me from. And so now as a mother, my goal is to just educate my son because he is growing up in a different time. He has access to so much information and I want to be the one that he hears it from first. Everything from getting your first pedicure, because I think men should keep their feet looking nice, um, to, you know, me taking you out on a date, to me talking to you about girls, to me talking to you about sex and being able to do that even at the age of 10, because I've noticed some changes within him that are like, all right, he's ready for this conversation and he's not afraid to ask those questions. And so I've created this environment where as uncomfortable as it may seem or may feel, you can talk to me because I'm not going to judge you because I got to go back and remember, shoot, when I was 10, what I was doing. Like, we don't even have to get into that. But like, we forget, I think, as parents, what we used to do as children and how our minds used to wander and, you know, how our imagination was. And then when we look at our kids, we're like, no, 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 they can't do this. No, 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 no. And it's like, yo, you didn't have social media, but that didn't stop you from humping or, you know what I'm saying, trying to figure out the porn channels, even if you couldn't see it. Like, yeah. Um, so I no, think about so, those things. Yeah, all of those things, like education is key. Yeah. And I think you said um, we forget, but I think we remember, you know, mm-hmm. th- and that's the thing. Like you remember how it was. Yeah. Um, so you're repeating those cycles of not being able to discuss those things, you know. Yeah. So you're adapting more towards what your parents did opposed to how it actually should be and, right. and it could benefit the young one. Um, again, like it's definitely benefiting to have a, a young one or be in a situation to where they know that they can come to you and you're not going to flip out. Or even if you are upset, you know, you're not displaying it to make it to where they feel guilty about their feelings or, you know, the the potential 
things in which they want to do. Like all of those things are are a lot of issues within the workplace, within society, based on mm-hmm. those things. People being rejected for being who they are or having those mm-hmm. true feelings. So it's, it's definitely good that you guys are putting your children in a, a position to be able to, you know, open up and express themselves with you. And I, I definitely commend you for that because it, it, it's okay. not easy. No, it's not. <laughs> but it's definitely worth it. You know? Yeah. Always it's, worth it. <laughs> it's not easy. So I, um, I mean, let's be, you have a question within this area still. I kind of want to. Um, no, I want to move forward. Yeah. I want, I actually want to talk a little bit about therapy um, yeah. and how we can encourage men to go to therapy more. I so so often I hear men say, "Oh, I don't need therapy. Oh, I got my boys. Oh, I'm good. It ain't that bad yet or something like that." And I often tell people like therapy is not necessarily for when things get bad. Like I go to therapy just to have you know what I'm saying? Somebody else to talk to um, and to work certain things out. You don't have to wait until you're at the end of the road. But um, how can we, I guess, as women do our part with encouraging more men to seek therapy? Um, so, I mean, I, I'll tell you and your listeners, like I tell that wife or that mom mm-hmm. uh, that's sitting in my office, um, to be honest with you, uh, me personally, it's it's two things that I always leave with. Like one, I can't help anybody who don't want help. Right. Two, I can't help anybody who don't see an issue with their actions. Mm-hmm. You know, so you can try to encourage, you can try to do as much as you can, but until he's ready, you know, it's 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 gonna be too much uh friction. It's gonna be too much time wasted in trying yeah. to build that bond. You know, so all you can do, to be honest with you, is ensure that you're putting yourself in a position of safety. Um, so, of course, emotional safety and, and mental safety, but physical safety as well, because I don't want you to be in a position trying to lead somebody somewhere and you're getting the emotional blowback or the physical mm-hmm. blowback, you know, whether that can be abuse or just name calling or arguments just from trying to support them. So definitely ensure right. that you're safe. Um, and, you know, do your part by leading with resources. He, he might not know what's available out there, um, which is a good thing. So you can say, hey, I found this book or, hey, did you know um, about this website or um, how you feel about X, Y, Z? I know that you've been, you know, acting a little different or displaying certain things. Have you mm-hmm. heard of, you know, or is this group coming up? How you feel about checking it out? So those are some of the things you can do. But, of course, don't force it. Like, they got to, right. you know, sometimes you not doing anything is probably the best thing. Um, and then they'll probably be concerned or open to hearing why your action shifted. Hey, what's going on? Mm-hmm. And then you can say, well, I'm, I'm acting this way. I'm responding this way because you're doing X, Y, Z, and it's not making me feel comfortable. You know, right. so those things can help. And it's potentially can assist him in knowing like oh man i may need to get some help because i'm affecting the people vicariously around me without even knowing it whether it's right. my intimate relationship my children my co-workers my teammates or whatever you know whoever you're around so those things tend to help but again make sure you're in a situation to where you're not draining yourself um because it can be it, it can be a, a draining situation if you're constantly trying to assist somebody else who don't want help or don't see an issue with their actions because mm-hmm. you know that's when the gaslighting happened that's when mm-hmm. the the blaming it on you happened that's mm-hmm. when you know yeah. so many different things that can come from that so 
you know, leave with resources, try to assist them as best you can. But if not, make a decision to put yourself first. And putting yeah. yourself first is, you know, maybe you to only, walk away. Yeah, only you know what that looks like. You yeah, know? Mm-hmm. absolutely. I think it's important for us to make sure and be conscious of, and I have, I've dealt with this in my marriage. I've dealt with it in former relationships as well, but realizing that you don't have to take on the responsibility of no one else's healing, right? No one else's Mm -hmm. process because it's not yours to claim or take ownership over. And the way that others may or may not project what it is that they're feeling onto you because it's, they feel a sense of being insufficient, right? And not, inheriting that, right? Not digesting that as our own. You are so right, James, in terms of like, you can't help nobody that don't want to be helped, (laughs) right? So like your work should not be more than the person in which you feel needs the resources and care um, that you are trying to, to give them. And Honey, yes, I feel I feel stretched and um, conflicted <laughs> in a good way. You know, even dealing with my brothers, you know, I'm just like, all right, that's the last thing I'm going to say, because I, I know where healing comes from. And I want to see you get to that point, but I can't do it for you. Yeah. Mm. It's almost like, you know, when you have that girlfriend who keeps talking about this guy, right? And she's ready to leave, ready to leave and won't go. And you're like, okay, listen, we can have this conversation every day, but I can't keep adding my two cents in there when you continue to do the exact same thing. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Girl, stop. (laughs) Right. Like, if that's where you want to be, then that's where you want to (laughs) be. But it's not going to involve me. Yes, exactly. I want to go to um, still along the lines of therapy, but one of the things that I love, and and I said this earlier, that I love to see black male therapists. I also appreciate your own depiction of who you are and what you look like, right? When they come to your social media channels, Mm -hmm. James, they're like, oh, this brother looks like me, right? Right. Like, and representation in any and every field matters. Um, But there seems to be, and, and, you know, we can all guesstimate on why that is, but there seems to always be, in my experience, a hesitancy and also a stigma associated with therapy in Black families, period, right? Like we don't disclose what's going on with our situations. Mm-hmm. Um, but for men specifically, there is like a barrier there. And I'm wondering if you could from your experience as a therapist, from your own personal experiences, if you can identify what those hesitancies and stigmas are that are associated with going to talk, right? Like going to get the help and assistance that you need to be well. Yeah. So, I mean, to be honest with you, it's a a lot of different reasons, some internal, some external. Um, And and some of those ones, you got to remember, like access and availability is not there for everybody, specifically in different um, geographical locations, you know, mm-hmm. black people oftentimes last ones to get certain resources. Right. Um, and those resources can come in the form of insurance or self-pay or, you know, just that decision that if, if I want to take off work, you know, to, to go and spend an hour on somebody's couch, you right. know, so those things can be a barrier too. Like mm-hmm. I got miles to feed. I got to work this overtime or I got to do X, Y, Z. I can't, you know, and a lot of people too don't know like they got the depiction of what therapy is from Hollywood. You know, you think it's coming, sitting on the couch, disclosing your deepest, darkest secrets. That can be right. a turn off to people too, because now like 
oh man, I don't want these strangers in my business. You know, I can lose my job or I can get my children taken away from me or, mm-hmm. you know, so a lot of people fear that you're going to use your information against me. Not knowing, of course, we got confidentiality, um, but a lot of people don't grasp that concept. They just still think like, I can't tell nobody what's going on for real. You right. know, and of course, you know, many people is raised that way. What goes in the house stays in the house. So don't tell X, Y, Z because somebody's going to get in trouble or somebody's going to, you know, know too much or whatever. So all of those things are barriers. But I just think a lot of it, too, has to be what, what I do a lot of is ensuring that I'm educating people, you know, and that education can be on certain diagnoses, especially with men, you know, because uh mm-hmm. Different diagnoses look different in men. So like depression, like a lot of men are depressed, but don't know they're depressed and don't care mm-hmm. to find out that they're depressed because mm-hmm. to a lot of people, depression is still like a female diagnosis. And I mm-hmm. hear that all the time, like from football players or star athletes, like, nah, man, that's for cheerleaders. I ain't depressed. <laughs> but then, you know, when I break it down, I give them the symptomology of what depression is, you know, he sit back in that chair, then he start listening. You know, so depression, though, is... You know, the textbook-wise, DSM-4, you know, lack of interest and pleasure, loneliness, mm-hmm. um, sleep disturbance, lack of appetite, hopelessness, um, not, you know, doing things that you, you're not doing things that you once did, you know, loss mm-hmm. of interest and stuff like that. But, of course, for men, too, it's a piece where it's irritability, it's anger, um, mm-hmm. it's a lot of different things. So, you know, once we start saying that, yo, boss, now we know what it is, we can treat it, we can figure mm-hmm. out how to get, you know... But that's the difference. Just educate men on different diagnoses. And a lot of people, specifically African-American men, have a lot of trauma, a lot of resentment, a lot of grief that they're not processing. You know, co-current trauma, uh, PTSD, all of those things are embedded within us because we see so many different types of traumatic situations in the news and the neighborhoods. Um, and it's repetitive, you know, these things are lasting back to back. As soon as you get over one incident, or, it's, you know, another one. it's another one. So how mm-hmm. am I supposed to be, you know, healed and happy and going about my merry day thinking if I'm next? So all of those things are but beneficial. So that's why therapy is important. Um, so, you know, we just got to debunk some of the myths of therapy. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much what I do um, online and within session, you know, and, and it's making an impact. Yeah, I absolutely love that. For those um, who might not, because access is, is truly is a, an issue, right? Um, and it is a barrier and prevents people from getting the services that they need. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know, you know, over the course of the past 18 to 20, I mean, we're in year two. I don't know what year are we in in terms of dealing <laughs> with the, the pandemic. But there were a lot of different resources that were put out there in terms of if you cannot afford um, therapy, right? Here are some resources for you to go to um, in order to receive the help that you need. And so when you think about the resources that are available for Black men specifically, ladies, we will get there um, for you as well, but we're, we're focusing on Black men. Where would you lead them, James? Um, of course, my website, mantoheal.com, www.mentoheal.com. Uh Black Man Hill, that's another definitely resource that I oftentimes partner with. Um, self-care for Black Men, that, that's also a, a place they can go. Uh, therapy for Black Men is definitely a place they can go. Um, NAMI.org, that's a good place they can go for many resources. Um, mm-hmm. Psychology Today, you definitely can go there and pretty much put in the criteria of a therapist that you want, You know, whether that's woman, male, um, 
you know, the ethnicity, the type of therapist you want, pretty much. You can build your own therapist these days, so it's benefiting. Mm-hmm. And we'll make sure to include all of that information in the description of this show um, so that people can click on it. Or we're going to send them your way. Um, we are going to, you know, continue to support your movement. This is definitely a conversation that we can have for, I'm pretty sure, a very long time. Um, but we don't want to keep you too long. I do want, unless V, if you have another question, okay. um, I sort of want to kind of close us out with what do you wish people knew Um about mental health and about therapy, um, what do you wish that they just knew more of when it comes to this topic? Um, that we're human, you know, mm-hmm. uh, ignore the perception of others, you know, get the help that you need. You know, a lot of times people don't get that based on how they feel they'll be viewed or judged, um, you know, and that can be a detriment to their own personal growth. So ignore the mm-hmm. perception of others, get the assistance that you may think you need, um, or if you just want to try therapy out. It's, it's different um therapists for different things you don't need to wait until you're at your uh Mm -hmm. break or you have multiple Mm -hmm. impairments you can go just to maintain you can go to talk about your career or your family Mm -hmm. or your aspirations there's so many different aspects to therapy yeah and i'm gonna add um don't be afraid to shop around um i recently broke up with the therapist because of just some a pattern that i've noticed that was just not sitting with me well like i know that therapists see a lot of different clients but there's something about knowing that when you sit with that therapist that he or she remembers who you are they remember what you guys talked about in your last session and um and I had some reasons why I had to step away from mine, um, but don't be afraid to shop around because you want to be comfortable with your therapist and you want to be able to open up. And you're not, you may not find that with the first one that you sit with. Um, so definitely there are a lot of different networks where you can read about your therapist. You can see some of the things that they're doing in the community. Um, so yeah, don't be afraid to shop around. Yeah. And most therapists offer a 15 minute consultation session. Mm-hmm. So you can definitely ask all the questions you need to just to ensure that, you know, they're right fit for you because it, it might be different. It may yeah. be, um, you know, a, a culture issue, whether that's age or ethnicity mm-hmm. or, mm-hmm. you know, you just might not want to open up with them. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so you can definitely figure those things out by doing those consultations. You can mm-hmm. ask that theoretical orientation. You can ask, um, have they ever worked with black people? Have they ever worked yeah. with women? How do they mm-hmm. feel about certain you know, whatever, whatever you feel that you need to ask, you know, they don't want to answer them things, you know, you can move on to somebody else. Yeah. So feel free. Yeah, that's real. Um, All right. Well, um, V, I'm going to close us out. Is there any last words that you have? I don't. My heart is full. I am so excited (laughs) about this episode. Um, I'm so appreciative of you giving your time and your words to us, James. We are super fans um mm-hmm. already I, I think i shared something on my ig story where you was like yo don't um you don't have to like recreate the expectations that your mom had or something like mm-hmm. that and I'm oh, for like, women. Yeah, yeah. yes referring to women and i appreciate the fact that you speak to both men and women right um those who identify as men and women so thank you so much for that um, I don't have anything else to add, Jade. I'm just full right. over here. <laughs> awesome. Yes, yeah, same here. And thank you, 
yet again, James, we really appreciate you here on the Plant Wind Down. Before we close this out, um, please let my listeners, our listeners know where they can follow you, how they can support you, um, anything that you have coming up where they can get your book. Just plug in everything that you can. Yeah, yeah. No, I definitely appreciate you for extending the invitation. It it definitely has been a pleasure to, you know, ensure that we're providing a good service to your audience. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, if you got any questions that you want to ask me directly or any information that you need, feel free to hit me up. The easiest way is probably my website, www.mentoheal.com, www.m-e-n-t-o-h-e-a-l.com. And from there, you can uh, purchase the book, you can purchase the shirt, you can subscribe to my YouTube channel. Um, so many different videos and some of the things that we touched on but didn't discuss um, here, you can get those videos, whether that's on communication or um, attachment or parenting styles, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a video on there on healthy relationships as well. Um, why men don't open up that might be benefiting to some of the women out there. Um, you know, just mindset. It's, it's a couple of different videos on there that can assist uh, not only the men, but of course the women who have men in their lives as well. So I definitely appreciate you for having me. Yes, you are welcome. Again, thank you. Thank you. All right, y'all listen, until next time, you guys know where to find us on Instagram, the plant wind down, you know, us separately, but make sure you are following our page. Um, Veronica, this is yet another great episode. Another great episode. Let us know what you all think. You know, we're always open to hearing what you want to hear next on the plant wind down. Until next time. Bye-bye. Bye.